Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. And today we are going to raise a hallelujah. I'm going to give you that opportunity at the end. Uh, this is going to be an encouraging message for you. Uh, this message is going to give you a lot of hope, uh, regardless of where you're at. I just, I just really believe that. I want to talk about storms of life. I really want to talk about having hope in the storms of life. And if you're like me, you guys look at the Internet every day. You go to some, either have some weather app, right, or you go to WSET or something. I always look at the weather radar because I, I want to know how to dress and, and walk out the door because I, I work at Liberty, so... Uh, parking's not that great, so I have to walk a great distance sometimes, and I just need to know how to dress. Well, you notice the storms come from west to east? Okay, well, they call them the westerlies, right? You, they have that airflow that comes from west to east. Say they come from the northwest or they come from the southwest. If they come from the northwest, there's snowstorms, massive car pileups, right, um, in the if they come from the south, it's generally going to be rain, flooding. But have you noticed they just keep coming? Like, they just keep coming. I mean, every other day, there's another storm system. You can look to see what's coming off the Pacific, from the Pacific coast, off the Pacific north. They just keep coming across the land. Tornadoes in the summertime, hurricanes in the fall. It just keeps coming. So, we can prepare for those storms. You can get a, a generator. Uh, you can, uh, you know, you have your weather app. That help, hopefully helps you prepare. Or if, uh, if you find out there's going to be a dusting in Lynchburg, you prepare by making a run on the bread and milk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that. So, but we need more than bread and milk honestly, to go through a storm. We need the bread of life to be with us in a storm, right? We need Christ to be with us. So I want to talk to you about storms, but there's other, those are physical storms. You know, people in hurricanes and tornadoes, they're praying, let me tell you, non-believers are praying in a hurricane. They really are. Um, but there's other things that go on in our lives. Obviously, sickness is a type of storm. And if you're not careful, sickness will literally take your breath away. Uh, so you have to really watch that. Um, circumstances, you know, you wake up, you got to face a world. You go to school, there's difficulties at school, there's, there's uh, relationship issues, there's, you know, getting along with professors if they maybe don't give you the grades you think, and uh, there's, you know, family things going on, right? There's, there's always family drama uh, if you have teenagers, <laughs> middle school children. Um, there's, there's always something going on. Have you, have you noticed that? And it's going to be that way until Jesus comes back. So we need a way to handle these storms. I mean, there's fear that comes. There's doubt. There's unbelief. I mean, you guys know all this stuff. So I just want to give us some principles today on how are we going to go through these storms in 2020? Because I guarantee they're coming. Some of you are already in storms. If I asked you to raise your hand, most of you would raise your hand that something's going on, whether it's family, extended family, work-related, uh, anything. You, you would raise your hand. 
right, principles to help us through the storms. Uh, number one, we want to have faith and not fear. Okay, faith and not fear. And we know that, uh, but I want to encourage you in the scripture. So let's look at Psalm 23. Now, the context of David, David was a man after God's own heart, right? Now, David literally had people trying to kill him for a significant portion of his life, like armies coming against him. Anyone here have an army or militia camp out against your house last night? Okay, Um, hopefully not. So I was not in the military. I was not on active duty. But those who serve our country, they have that tense fear constantly that something, an I, an I, I mean, an IED, an RPG, a something is going to go off. Um, so David had that, right? Because he was fighting the battles of God. So that's kind of the context of Psalm 23. David was chased by Saul. They tried to kill him. Saul's, Israel tried to kill David. The Philistines tried to kill David. The Syrians, the Edomites, I mean, all these armies tried to come after David, and they couldn't defeat him. And here's what he said in verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Okay, so there's a shadow of death. What is that? Well, to David, the shadow of death was armies camped against him. Okay? And he also experienced his own son trying to raise a coup against his uh, leadership. I mean, David has experienced everything, but there was a shadow of death. David knew it well. He's like, if God doesn't come through... I'm literally dead. I mean, they're going to cut my head off. They're going to make sport of me. They're going to do strange things with my body. And, and the idols that they serve are going to get the credit for it. David's like, God, we can't have this. We have shadows of death, don't we? Our shadows of death are difficulties in life that come against us. I will fear no evil. Why, David, won't you fear any evil? For you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So he says, you prepare a table. What is this table? Well, the table, I think, it doesn't spell it out specifically, but it's, a place where you would feast. And I think in David's context, it would be, could you imagine David's army winning a battle? What would they do afterwards? They would have a huge celebration feast, right? I mean, I would. God gave you this incredible delivery. I mean, we're going to celebrate. I mean, God commanded Moses, hey, appear before me. I want the men before me three times a year. I want you guys to celebrate. So God was into that. So I'm kind of thinking that this table was a picture of a victory feast. Okay, but certainly when you sit down to eat, certainly there's rejoicing, right? Certainly there's peace when you're eating at a table. Uh, So, you know, this table is like a, it's like a sanctuary. And I like what one commentator said. This is pretty good. He said, we must imagine the banquet spread on some secure mountaintop in the sight of the baffled foe who look on in harmless spite. 
Isn't that a great picture? And so David literally had protection from an army. But do we have protection against our enemies? And of course, the answer is yes, we do, right? We have a table that we can go to. I mean, what's our table? Thanks be to, I mean, that's old, old Testament speaking right here. Let me give you New Testament speaking. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession, okay, over our enemies. So who's leading us? Christ in triumphal procession. So we have the victory in Christ, just as David had the victory with God. All right, so there's a table that we need to go to when life is difficult, when everything is coming against you. Is it practical? Does it really work when people are gossiping behind your back? You know, you get that sick feeling in your stomach when you find that out. Or like a family situation where you're wondering, why are my sisters, why are my brothers doing this? Why are they acting like this? And it's like, you know, taking care of loved ones and you got this drama going back and forth because maybe not everyone's saved in your family. Maybe everyone is saved in your family, which is not a good testimony. Is there really a table we can come to in a practical way? And I say the answer is yes. And hopefully I'll kind of expound on that. Let's look at another scripture from David, Psalm 56. Again, the context, I'll read the context here. It says, a victim of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. Okay, Philistines were his enemy. Gath, of course, was the land of the Philistines. So David's in hot water again. And what's he say? I mean, this is not on your screen. He says, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So we're talking about having faith and not fear. So can we, you know, what is fear? Fear is, uh, it's a response to a thought or a circumstance, right? And fear has a physiological component, like the fight or flight response. I think God designed fear because I guarantee when David saw the armies that line up, and he's getting ready to go to battle. Your body needs some adrenaline. Your body needs something to kick in because you need to, you need to be ready to fight. So I, I believe God designed it that way. But the thing is, fear is not what God wants us to have as far as when we face our enemies because fear really is a lack of faith. If I give in to fear, what am I saying? Sorry, God, you can't do anything here. I'm just going to buy into fear. Sorry, Lord, you're just, you can't handle my family situation. All this drama, it's just going to have to happen. It's sick, God. I hate it. And, well, I guess you can't do anything. You're just an impotent God. That's pretty sad, isn't it? But that's not the case, is it? <laughs> Sorry, God. I mean, the enemy just keeps attacking us. I guess we're just going to have to get beat up and defeated. That's, that's not the way it works. I mean, that could be the way it works. But that's not the way. That's not, we want to say what David says. 
Whenever I'm afraid, what's, what's David's response to fear? I will trust in you, right? Verse 11, in God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? So here's what you have to do. Fear is like this external thing. It can be a feeling, but it's based, it's based on perception. It's based on reality. So when this fear hits you in your mind, you know how you get that sick feeling in your stomach? I hate that feeling. And, I mean, it could be public speaking. It'd be, you have to confront somebody. You have to bring whatever it is. There's fear that hits you. You actually have to speak against it. You have to realize that fear is hitting you, and then you have to say, wait a minute, God is my deliverer. God is going to give me wisdom. God has my back. God loves me. He's going to take care of me. He's got this. So I'm going to put my trust in him. That's what David did. That's what we need to do on a practical level. Um, I'll share a a practical example. Uh, We did that. A friend of mine and I were, I was helping a friend move to Alaska uh, some years ago. And we had like a caravan. We had a 26-foot U-Haul truck towing a car. And then we had a pickup truck towing a car. So he and I were like caravanning across the land. So we up through Montana, I believe it was, into Canada. It was in December, right, minus 35 degrees. And so now we're getting ready to go through the Canadian Rockies. Well, it's a, this huge snowstorm just slams. And this 26-foot U-Haul truck wasn't winterized. Don't ask me why they didn't winterize it. We actually got stuck in it at one point because the antifreeze sludged up and shut us down. And uh, U-Haul had to come out and get a big blowtorch and and heat it up. But anyway, so this big snowstorm comes. The treads on the tires weren't that great, of course. You know, who checks the treads on the tires when you rent a U-Haul truck? You just get in the truck and you go. So this big snowstorm's coming. So we pull off. We're somewhat remote, but there is like a, a pullover. And there were some other truckers there. And they were coming. They had come over the mountain, the direction we were going. So we got out of the car there's this kind of wild-looking Canadian, and he gets out of his truck, and he's, he's just he's kind of walking fast kind of toward us. And I said, well, let's ask him how it is. So he said, you know, how are the conditions coming through the mountains? He starts cursing and swearing and saying how bad they were, and we needed to turn back, and it was terrible. And we're like, oh, my goodness, this is terrible. We've got these big monstrosity you know, we got we got our little caravan. We're going through the Canadian Rockies, and so fear hit us, right? But the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He just just welled up within me and said, "That's not of me. That's fear, and you're not to give into that." I thought, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so I said, "Tom, I said I really believe that that's fear." So we got in the cab of our truck and we had a little powwow. And I said, I, I really believe God showed me that that was that man was bringing fear to us, and we need to press on in faith. That's what God wants us to do. And he he confirmed it, um, and he said, and so we prayed, and we were in unity, and we got in our little caravan, and we drove through the Canadian Rockies in a snowstorm with subpar <laughs> subpar vehicles, and we made it, and it was completely safe. And so praise God for that. But you know. We had to recognize fear, and we had to not accept it. Okay, we had to step out in faith. 
And so I want to encourage you guys to do the same thing. All right. And what does God say? Um, you know, God is with us. He will never forsake us, right? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right. Okay, so number one, have faith, not fear. You, can't, you cannot give in to fear. You just can't do it. Number two, own the fact that God loves you. So if I tell you God loves you, true, right? You need to hear it's the word of God. It can build faith, but it could also be somewhat meaningless in this sense. You might just kind of have an intellectual kind of an understanding of God loves you. Isn't it great when God takes you through some hairy situation, brings you through it, and you look back and you're like, I could have died. I should have died. I didn't die. And then you're like, God. <laughs> and then you, you make this like connection in your brain like, wow, he must really love me. Right? I mean, he's, he's like, he really is for me, isn't he? Okay, that's... So let's take a look at the scriptures. Psalm 18. I've, already, I've shared this before up here, but I'm going to share it again because it's one of my favorite situations. Context. All right, this is a, a, a song that David wrote on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So again, you know, literal armies are chasing David down. What's he going to do? Verse 4, I'm going to start with. The pang... And by the way, this language is really colorful. It's full of metaphors, and it's painting an amazing picture. So I really want you to get into this picture that it paints. The pangs of death surrounded me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol, that's the grave, surrounded me. The snares of death, you know what a snare is, right? It's a trap. You set a trap to catch something. It's almost like, you know, Satan's got these traps out there, and he's trying to trap us. And he said, these traps of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Good move. I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple. And my cry came before him, even to his ears. You realize God has ears. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken because he was angry. Okay, why, is, why is God angry? Is he angry because enemies are attacking David? Yeah. But there's an object. There's a reason. It's not just that enemies are attacking David. It's that enemies are attacking something very dear to God's heart. You catching that? Smoking up from his nostrils, God has a nose, and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also. He came down with darkness under his feet. I mean, here's the picture. I, I just love the picture. Okay, it's like your God is he's seated on the throne, right? Right? Yeah, he's on the throne. He's looking down. He sees the object of his affection being attacked by an army. He hears the object of his affection cry out for help. What does he do? Well, it said he got angry, didn't it? 
he gets up off the throne and he starts speaking. And lightning starts to flash and the foundations of the deep are broken and the demons and the principalities and powers are shaken. And the angels are like, this is incredible. Let's check this out. I mean, the whole... I mean, I'm reading it, right? Let me get to verse 13. The Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered His voice. Hailstones and coals of fire... Now, you know, I'm not saying they're real, literal hailstones and coals of fire, but this is a picture of something awesome happening, right? That's what's going on here. This is a picture. He set out his arrows and scattered the foe. Lightnings in abundance, he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen. It's like, you know, God's just taking his, you know how you take your arm through the swimming pool and you could make a channel through the water? You, like picture God just taking his hand through the ocean and you know, You say, well, John, you're exaggerating. I'm reading this to you. (laughs) This isn't my word. The channels of the sea were seen. The foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord. So God spoke it, right? He rebuked. He's rebuking something here. At the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from above. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me into a broad place. He delivered me. Why? What's the whole point of this passage? Does it say it? He delighted in me, right? The whole point. It wasn't that God was just angry with the Philistines. It was God was angry that... His beloved servant was under attack. His servant in covenant relationship with him was under attack. If you are born again, you are in covenant relationship with Jesus Christ and the Father through the Holy Spirit, right? So this picture applies to us too, doesn't it? God doesn't like when people mess with his children. (laughs) He really doesn't. It is good. You guys need to read Psalm 18 like every day. And just get this idea in your head, okay? Uh, Here's the idea. That God, we need to own the fact that God loves us, right? So we need to have faith, not fear. We need to own the fact that God loves us. It's not an intellectual ascent. It's after God has done something wonderful in your life. You look back and you're like, I just bow to you, Lord. You love me. I'm your child. I'm in covenant. I mean, everything you said in this book has come true. All I can do, God, is just thank you and praise you. Isn't that cool? So now the challenge, though, is when you leave these four walls and your kids are screaming you have to go to work on Monday morning, and you have to deal with a taskmaster boss, or you have to deal with jealous coworkers that are, you got to deal with all this stuff, right? Well, is this, is this word, is this message actually applicable for Monday morning? <laughs> yes, of course it is. Or when you go to school. All right. Own the fact that God 
loves you. I mean, he really, really does love you. Okay, third one. Set your face like a flint to do God's will. I love this. Let's go to Isaiah 50. Context of Isaiah 50. That's right. (laughs) In Isaiah, Isaiah talks about somebody called the servant. And, you know, commentators say that in Isaiah you read these servant songs. Okay. And Christ is the fulfillment of this servant. So what I'm going to read you is a servant song, Isaiah 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me and to my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. Does that kind of sound like Jesus going to the cross? I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me, therefore I will not be disgraced. I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. So if you look up the Hebrew word there, the root of that Hebrew word means hardness. And, of course, flint is a rock, right? And the root of that word rock is hardness. So in an incredibly difficult situation that God has called this servant to go through, this servant has made a choice to set his face with hardness with resolve, right, to do God's will. Okay, you say, well, is that really talking about Jesus? Let's look in Luke 9.51. I think it is. Now it came to pass, the context here, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Why? Because he's going to die on a cross for us. Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly, or was determined to go. He said, mine says he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Okay, so, you know, Jesus knew his mission, right, when he came to earth. I mean, he knew he came to go to the cross and die. And so the devil tried to keep him from doing it, didn't he? The devil tried to kill him a number of times. Herod tried to kill him when he was a little baby, right? Peter tried to keep him from going to the cross. I mean, so you have some mission, ministry, or calling, or job description from God to do. And you need to do it. And everything's going to oppose you. Your adversary is going to oppose you. Christians that don't mean to will try to oppose you sometimes. Not always. Hopefully we're cheering you on. But sometimes there are people that will oppose you. What are you going to do? Set your face like a flint and say, this is what God told me to do, even though I'm afraid, even though my stomach is doing somersaults right now. I'm going to do it with God's grace. I'm setting my face like a flint. I resolve I'm going to do this thing. If I have to talk to this person, God give me gracious words seasoned with salt so I don't intentionally offend anybody whatever it is that you're called to some of you are called to do something you know you need to do it right and maybe you've been hesitant to do it okay well if god has called you to do it you need to do it and you need to have the resolve okay hebrew says we don't shrink back to 
perdition or destruction. So we have, we, we have the faith, right? We're walking according to the faith. So we have to finish the race that we've been given to run. We're not those that are going to shrink back and quit following Christ, are we? I'm not. I mean, on my, da- on my dying bed, I'm going to be praising, I'm going to be singing, I'm going to be witnessing, I'm going to be doing something by God's grace to, the, to that very, very day where my breath is taken. And that's what we need to do. All right, so faith, not fear. Own the fact that God really does love you. Set your face like a flint and uh, pray and sing is the fourth one. This is pretty cool. Acts 16. The context is Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They are doing the work of God. They're witnessing to people. People are getting saved. Well, then there's this little slave girl. She comes running around. She's got the spirit of divination, right? And so the people that own her, she's like the fortune teller. So, you know, they charge money. They're making all kinds of money off this slave girl because she can tell the future, supposedly. Well, she starts following Paul and Silas, and she just blurts out, these men are servants of the Most High God, blah, blah, blah. And after a while, Paul gets tired of that, and he's like, look, come out of her in Jesus' name. So the spirit of divination comes out, and all of a sudden, their owners, they don't have any more profit. (laughs) You know, business is gone. Sorry, small business owners. So they complain to the magistrates. It's like, look, these people are causing commotion. They're taking our business. So the magistrate is going to throw them in prison, like any good magistrate. So let's pick it up in verse, uh, let's see, what did I say, 1622. All right, then the multitude rose together against them, Paul and Silas. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. That's not fun. And when they had laid many stripes on them, that's blood, they threw them in prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison, sounds kind of dark and cold to me, um, and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Isn't that pretty cool? So... Wait a minute. So they're, they're, you know, God told them to go share the gospel at Philippi. So they go to Philippi to share the gospel. I mean, all they're doing is what God told them to do. I mean, why do I have to suffer and be thrown in prison for this? And then what's their response? I mean, they're bloody in prison now, right? It's midnight. They're bloody. They're in pain. And again, it's got, it isn't some humane type of a prison. I can guarantee that. So these guys are in pain, but just something within them starts to pray and sing and praise God. You know, what is, what is going on there? It's, number one, you know, we are to share in the fellowship of his sufferings, right? So they knew how much Christ suffered going to the cross. So when they had the privilege and honor of going through that, uh, uh, maybe some sufferings themselves, I think they were really encouraged by that. In fact, what did Jesus say? He said, hey, if you're persecuted for righteousness, what did he say to do? Rejoice. Right? Great is your reward in heaven. Hey, you guys are following in my shoe steps. You know, you are humbled. You're going through this for my sake. 
I'm going to exalt you in due time. So they started singing. Have you guys ever done that in just very painful situations? I mean, I've done it several times with stomach viruses. I mean, in the midst of throwing up, I would try to, as best I could, just praise God and just tell him how good he is. Because is he really good when I'm throwing up? Or is he only good when somebody gives me a, a nice gift or I get a raise or, you know what I mean? Is, you know, where is he good? Where is he really good? Yeah. And so was that, I wasn't telling God that my stomach virus was good. It's not good. I hated it. I just want him to come take me home. <laughs> but if he wasn't going to take me home, I could at least say, God, you're good. Right? Okay. All right. So you need to pray and sing. Set your face like a flint. Own the fact that God loves you. And walk by faith and not fear. Last one. You need to raise a hallelujah. Okay, you need to raise a hallelujah. A scripture came to me to define what I mean by raise a hallelujah. This is kind of interesting. Romans 4.16. The context here is Paul is using Abraham as an example of faith, right? Okay, that's what's going on here. So he's talking about faith. So, Romans 4.16. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed, God. Now, that he who believed, that's Abraham. Okay, with me? So Abraham believed God. Well, remember God said to Abraham, hey, look at the stars, Abraham. Count them if you can. Your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars. So now Abraham's 100. Sarah's 90. God comes to him again. You're going to have a son. Abraham's like, okay, I'm I'm 100. My wife is 90. It isn't going to happen, God. It just, it was an impossibility to have a child when you're 90 years old, would you agree? I mean, it's an impossibility. Okay, so that's what's going on here. Let me continue reading. God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope, believed, Abraham believed, so that he became the father of, of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Of course, it goes on to say Abraham was not weak in faith. So let me, let me just explain to you what's going on here. Impossible situation, they can't have a child. That, when the scripture says against hope, that's what was against hope, right? In the natural, there is no hope for that situation. But then it said Abraham in hope. So where does the in hope come from? It came from God who said, Abraham, you're going to have a child, (laughs) right? And then Abraham believed. So Abraham's trust and belief because he knew that God could do the impossible, because he knew that God could do those things which don't exist. He could bring into existence those things that didn't exist, right? So what's that got to do with this raise a hallelujah? Okay, here in a few minutes, you're going to see a testimony. 
and then you guys are going to, we're all going to raise a hallelujah here at the end. But to me, this whole raise a hallelujah means simply this, that in your circumstance, in your situation, that's clearly impossible for you to come out of, whether it's a sickness, whether it's a, something blew up in your car, I mean, whatever it is, it's impossible with man. Unless God does something, it ain't going to happen, right? That's when you're going to raise a hallelujah in hope, against hope, that God is able to do the impossible. Does that make sense? Okay. So, we have a testimony I want you to see. Uh, Can we cue that up? We got the news that he was in extremely serious condition, and it just went from worse to worse. In about a 12-hour time period, it, it went from he's just kind of had, had this little sick thing at home to life or death. We we're, you know, we were in a we we're in a battle for a child's life and for a family. I'm a little bit of a um, a nut when it comes to Christmas because I didn't have the lights outside and all of that. We grew up, you know, kind of poor, and, and um, so this was a really special Christmas for us. Um, you know, we went out and got our tree, and stockings were hung, and then everything changed. We love to do uh, train cake every year together as a family, and Jackson and I were actually doing that just for me and him that day so it was a super fun like mommy son moment and we were making the cake and then that evening just not long after that he was just laid out on the floor i knew this he's not okay he needs to go to the hospital and so we rushed him to the er he was just like so sick and i could hardly you know get him to the hospital the doctor had called me up and he said I'm really concerned that he might have E. coli. When I heard that I thought oh psh, that's like one in a million chance. I don't feel like that would be possible. Um, and if it is E. coli that's treatable. And a lot of times E. coli doesn't, I mean it's just a terrible sickness and it passes through the system. But in our case um, he contracted HUS that, which then developed into kidney failure and to the most severe um, the most severe case of HUS. The doctor had said that this is basically out of their realm of capabilities and that we had to go to a different children's hospital and I was thinking, oh, that's going to be in the next few days. He said, no, you need to go tonight and you're going to go on a helicopter. We're going to fly him there. I was just flooded with this sense that I might never know my boy. Growing up to be a man, it might be this week that I lose my son. All of a sudden, his speech starts to slur. He just started not being able to communicate, not being able to respond. In the middle of the night, they rushed us up to the PQ and called the neurosurgeon in. They tested him and there was no response. There was no pain response. There was no recognition of me. And at that moment, I thought, 
I, I'm losing my son. Even if he makes it through this, I don't know if he'll ever know me again. And he was just sprawled out on the bed and couldn't respond to anything. And he was gone. There's a time when you've said every prayer you can say, and you don't have the strength to praise and worship anymore. And you haven't slept for weeks. And you're just kind of undone. And that was a moment for me when I was undone. The flip side of that is, I feel like that was the moment that I really began to feel the prayers around the world. Hi, it's Christmas morning, and a lot of you are asking how Jackson's doing. Just want to say thanks for all your prayers and support. It's been overwhelming. Um, it's a really long story, but it's really complicated right now, and we really need a Christmas miracle. They can't get to his blood. Um, there was something supernatural that, that happened that brought the church together. I would pull up social media and I would just read people's prayers and their comments of people all over the world. I've never met them before, but they were just crying out for my son. We were in the brink of life or death and people would be posting comments on our Facebook. We are up praying for you. People posting by the thousands, commenting, and they'd be all over the world. We're in Brazil. My church, whole church is praying for you. I'm in Russia. My little children pray for your son every day. I didn't have any prayers left to say, but I could feel and see and hear the prayers being said on my behalf. Yeah, just this is a box full of letters and something that we've really treasured. This is the bed that Jackson is laying on. And Jesus is healing him. They're in the middle of the world. Well. Jesus. From Mercy, four years old. I hooked up to everything. They allowed me just to, like, hold him in my arms. And you could just see the light still in his eyes. And I just remember just standing and declaring over him. He was gonna he was gonna raise up out of that grave and he was gonna he was gonna live. We'd get good news and then worse news. It was so up and down and so we go to the hospital and they said they thought he'd be okay, so they sent us home. And then to find out that he's worse than you even thought the first time. And then you're at the hospital and you're thinking, you know, he's gonna get better and then you find yourself in a helicopter and then you find yourself in a <sighs> the head of the PICU came in and said we have to get we have to get a central line in tonight they couldn't give him another sedative so it would be like going in basically having surgery on a child without any anesthesia and the doctor took us aside and put us in another room they took us in a room and explained we had to have this procedure done or we would lose him, but there was so many risks to having the procedure done. I remember the night we got the text 
that they didn't think he was going to make it through the night. When you got the text, you just collapsed into my arms and just like began to weep. And I could just feel like, like, we're going to lose. Like, we're going to lose Jack's, like, we're not going to win this one. There's not going to be victory on this battlefield. Those moments, even though they're really hard, something within us rises up. The only moments of trauma and intensity can actually call forth. In those moments for us, like the only option is like, we just have to worship. I remember standing at this crossroads and this giant of unbelief standing in front of me. Like, it's, it's, your prayers don't matter. Um, all these prayers don't matter. Like, the Lord's not going to hear it. This is going to be like the other moments where you prayed with all your heart and then you buried your friend the next week. And, um, and it, but there was like something inside of me of like, no. And the melody just erupted out of my heart that, um, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. He sent me a song and I don't know to what extent, but it said his, their community had prayed for Jackson and in a spontaneous moment, they came up with a song and so they just, you know, recorded it and sent it to me. I took that song over my phone and I played over my son over and over again. You know, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah. My weapon is a melody. And that's exactly what I was doing. I was, I was fighting warfare and, and it was, wasn't just me. I wasn't alone. I had people <laughs> literally making weapons, writing songs, sending it to us. It still humbles me and baffles me. The power of global prayer, the power of community, the power of believing together. He started talking again. What did you just see in the picture of? You know, he was, you could tell it was, it was still like fragile, it was still coming back, but he was talking again, and that was like amazing. He was asking in the cutest two year old voice, like everything you can imagine that he liked, you know, want a hamburger, want a hamburger. <laughs> You know, but we were so happy to hear him talking again. From talking with Joel, the tone started to feel like, oh, wow, we, we're coming out of this, I think. Just the shift internally of like we made it was incredible. We walked in to the hospital just before Christmas, and now we're sitting here with a healthy son taking his nap right now. I, I remember hearing the news that uh, Jackson is coming home, and it was like uh, it was like Christmas. We believe in the power of praise. We've seen a, God do a lot, and I don't know the secret to all of it, but I do know that Jackson is well today, and I can't help but wonder or think that. Uh, that that praise had a part of that. This is part of our story now, and it's part of Jackson's testimony of his life that the world will know that miracles happen. This gospel is not haphazard. It's not a Russian roulette. It's not a guessing game. It is the absolute nature of God revealed through His goodness and His kindness. And what is necessary is for the people of God to rise to the occasion, to face the impossibilities of life with the confidence of God's character, His nature, and His promise. There's no other option. We were called to this. This is our responsibility. It is our privilege. 
Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.